Let's Hear It is a podcast for and about the field of foundation and nonprofit communications, produced by its two co-hosts, Eric Brown and Kirk Brown. No relation. Well said, Eric. And by the way, I'm Kirk. And, well, I'm Eric. (laughs) Uh, the podcast is generously sponsored by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation. We're talking to people about their work and what's happening in the field with the hopes of making this growing arena a little more accessible to us all. You can find Let's Hear It on any podcast subscription platform. You can find us on Twitter at Let's Hear It Cast. And you can email us at hello at Let's Hear It Cast.org. Now let's get to the show. Okay, then. So this week, Eric... Why don't you tell us who you're talking to? Well, this week I'm interviewing Minna Jung. And Minna was at the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation for over a decade. And she was then communications director at the Packard Foundation. And then eventually she went on to run communications at Earth Justice. So as I said, as I said to her, she's the Holy Trinity. She's, she's, (laughs) and now she's a consultant, which is the third part of the Trinity, such as it is. (laughs) <laughs> so she she's run communications for a foundation for a big nonprofit, and now she's consulting. And what we did was we we met in a bar in San Francisco, uh, and so we called it uh, we called it consultants in bars having cocktails. And I do hope that we get sued by Seinfeld, but uh, and just to talk about what it's like to consult, and just a little bit more about the way we think about communications from our various vantage points and for Minna, the various steps along the way. Well, you didn't just meet in any bar. You met in the famous Lone Palm uh, in the Mission District in San Francisco, which is one of my very favorite places in all of San Francisco. I love the Lone Palm. If you're in San Francisco, go to the Lone Palm. It They don't have a fancy schmancy cocktail menu. You have to kind of know what to drink. They have white tablecloths and goldfish in bowls, you know, actually <laughs> the cheesy goldfish, not, you know, swimmy goldfish. Uh, and it is quiet enough that you can kind of sort of have a conversation. And uh, with a lot of background noise, but I think you could you can hear us talk. And to answer the question that I'm sure everyone is going to ask, we each had old fashions. And uh, maybe because we're, we're just old fashioned. <laughs> and hopefully Seinfeld doesn't eat us because then we'll, you know, we'll definitely be famous. So let's uh, listen to you in a minute talk and then we'll come back and we'll talk about it. Here we are. This is, what is it? Consultants in bars having cocktails. All right. And uh, one, one can only hope that uh, that Jerry Seinfeld doesn't sue us. Actually, let him sue. Wouldn't that be great? I am here with my pal, uh, my pal, Minna Jung, who has, I think you've, you've achieved the, um, what is it, the Holy Trinity. Which is? <laughs> Is it bars? Is it <laughs> oh, all right. And so I should say we are here at the Lone Palm, which is a a relatively divey bar in uh, in the Mission District in San Francisco. Just cause. That's right. We've been making a habit of this, actually. <laughs> because we're consultants. That's correct. Right. And I should also note that this is a dog-friendly bar. So if a dog happens to bark in the background, you'll know why. Right. You have achieved the Holy Trinity. You've run communications at a large foundation. You've run communications at a large nonprofit. And now you, have, you were 
slopping around in the muck of consultancy. Yes. (laughs) And I just don't know where to begin to talk to you about what you have learned over the years. But maybe the first question is, how did you end up, like, how did we, it's like the old uh, Talking Head song, how did we get here? In consulting? Yeah. Huh. I saw her. I, uh, that's that's an interesting thing. It depends uh, what side passions you bring to uh, communications, to the practice of communications. Um, so for me, uh, for example, I, 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 it's not just that I love communications, all the things associated with helping people communicate better, um, but it's also because I love to write and I love to find different ways to express myself and for other people to express themselves. Um, so um, I never quite um, got in my head to become a professional writer to do that full time, even though I flirted with that on occasion. Wait, wait, okay, I have to have to interrupt. Yes, you because you you are you're a published author, are you not? I am a published author. I might have published way too early, and therefore just got lazy afterward. <laughs> uh, I, yes, I, I, have, I have my own story about early, yes, er, early success. Yeah, that, I burped out a charming little children's book, and then went into nonprofit work and and got too exposed to the real world to enter that world. And the name of your charming little children's book that you burped up, uh, William's Ninth Life. Tell yes. me about William's Ninth Life. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm on my tenth. Uh, yes, William, actually, William's tenth career. That's, um, William's Ninth Life is a story about an old woman and an old cat who live together by the sea and one day uh, William the cat is visited by this strange feline deity and told that um, he's at the end of his eighth life and he's got to choose his ninth life. Uh, so he doesn't even realize that this is a thing. He doesn't realize that it's a thing that he gets to choose each life. And apparently there is some memory thing that happens where you forget your last life. And so the cat deity is all excited to have William choose his next life. And William is super attached to this old woman that he lives with. So he says that he'd really like to stay with his old woman, his, his by the sea and, and live the exact same life that he did before. And, um, the deity does everything he can, it can, to tempt William to choose a really exciting life. Offers all kinds of options, um, super exciting options, and the suspense in the book is what William will choose for his ninth life. And at the end of the book, um, it it shows that William actually his wish was granted, and he gets to stay with his old woman in his little cottage by the sea. That's what William's ninth life is about. Uh, all right. So I didn't. I I so like, <laughs> you didn't know that. <laughs> no, 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 no. Like all, like all. Of us, I majored in psych for one semester. Yes, but I don't need to be a psych <laughs> PhD. I don't need to be, you know, Freud himself to say there's a, there's a lot going on here in this little story. Young. <laughs> You know, I got these really charming letters. Well, I'll explain why I wrote a story about a cat in a second. But I got these really charming letters from librarians and from parents who actually said that it was an excellent story to teach young children about death, about the possibility of loss. Because in the story, William is confronting what it's going to be like if he leaves Elizabeth, the old woman he lives with, and what Elizabeth. And there are actual like images of him mourning his, you know, and and her mourning him because she 
loves them so much. They love each other so much. Um, but the, you know, what's interesting is that I've always been a dog person. Always loved dogs. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, yeah. you're not a cat. A I know. And then uh, the reason why I wrote this um, children's book about a cat is because um, cats struck, struck me as much more um, colorful characters. You know, a dog is a dog. They're just they're just so trans. You know what? That's what my dogs tell <laughs> yeah, me. They're just so transparent. They're so open. They're so like who they are. Like whoever a dog is, they're very committed to who they are from the get go. But cats seem to be more enigmatic. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it, oh, totally. for the purpose of writing fiction, it just felt like you could create a character much more easily around the cat than you could around the dog. So, but why that particular story came out, it really just flew out of nowhere. Well, I, I for one, am happy that you wrote it. But, all right. So now I'm going to get back to the, the topic at hand. Yes. Uh, uh, you know, apart from tenth lives and such. Which, like I say, <laughs> I think I'm on. I'm on my nineteenth comeback. Having been in, sat in the chair at, at these large institutions, kind of, what is, and, and now having, sitting in this consulting world, where do you see the field? Where do you see the field of philanthropy? Where do you see the field of nonprofit communications? And how does whatever you're doing now play into that? Well, here's the thing. Uh, first of all, let me speak a little bit about sitting in the chair at these large institutions. Um, a lot of people who get into the communications field, I think, are creative people. They have to come up with compelling ways to speak, you know, and, and tell stories. So there's a lot of storytelling. There's a lot of messaging. There's a lot of creative work that goes into communications. So you get all these creative types who go into communications, and then they go into these professional jobs, you know, in um, large organizations, large institutions. Real jobs. Real jobs. Okay. Real jobs. And um, I, I will say, I don't, I don't mean this to sound as bleak as it's going to sound, but it's really hard to find the room for that creati- creativity, particularly as you ascend the management ladder. Okay. It's really, really hard to do that. So you, you say to yourself, oh, I never have time to write or I never have time to think because you're so busy doing HR crap and going to a million meetings, you know what I mean? And, and having people like just circle around, you know, policy, just, you know, like when should we have uh, casual Fridays? You know, like you're having all these conversations related to your institution. And some of it is important work that has to do with your organizational culture. But a lot of it is just that sort of flotsam and jetsam that comes with having a, a big management job, you know? So I found that the, I found that the bigger my job got, the more I was, um, running things that were not that fun to run. Maybe some people really enjoy that kind of thing. I can see how some people might enjoy that type of thing, but I wasn't enjoying it that much, you know? And so, but I didn't just notice this in myself. I actually felt like a lot of my friends and colleagues in the communications field, as soon as they hit that level of getting communications director or vice president of communications in their title, then all of a sudden they take this, as Bugs Bunny said, this left turn to Albuquerque. You know what I mean? Like they wouldn't go and get another management job. They go into consulting, you know, or they do something like write a book, you know, or they try to do something to satisfy those creative urges that they've always, that they always had, you know, because communications is essentially a creative enterprise. Um, 
I guess in, in terms of your question about the state of the field, I don't think that there are as many opportunities to exercise that creativity as there should be. You know, I think that I think that these causes that we work on in the social sector are so insanely complex and already weighed down by so many technicalities and so many layers of legalese and policy and whatever that I think that it ta- it, it needs true creativity and uh, and free thinking in order to break out of all the same old, same old ways that we tend to communicate about these causes, you know? I mean, these days, to get people's attention, you really need to bring some fresh thinking, you know, and some some different ways of storytelling and just and getting to people and getting into their hearts and minds, you know? And I think that the state of um, nonprofit communications and philanthropy is that communications is, um, in most places that I've worked at, it's really under-resourced um, and um, there's not enough space being given uh, to the enterprise of communications that it's really allowed to to be the creative enterprise that it really should be, you know, where people really are telling great stories. Now, I'm not saying that that's the case with every job I've had. I've worked with some really um, great organizations and really talented people at those organizations where, um, where we've told stories in ways that were so true and so moving and we reached huge numbers of people and really engaged them on the subject. Um, but I think by and large, if you ask me about the state of the field, I would say um, I know that people care a lot about communications, but they need to do it better and they need to they need to they need to really up their game on it. They really need to up their game. And I think that the political and social movements that we've been seeing over the last decades, that's what you're seeing is that we've been losing the game on. <laughs> so well, uh, it's a good thing we're here in this bar. Why? Because it's always a good thing. I mean, I know why, but why? No, why? Because you've just bu- you've just bummed me out. Oh, here. Well, no, it's okay. We're, we're sharing an old fashioned. It's it's true. Um, okay. It, it sounds to me like management isn't all it's cracked up to be. Or if somebody is coming into the field of communications, they might be able to. Um, I don't know what actualize themselves without having to be a management person. That in in fact there may be an inverse proportion of creativity to uh, I don't know what decision making power or something like that. Yeah, but it's hard to resist those in- incentives. You know what I mean? It's yeah. it's hard if you have people who are mentoring you, or even if you it, it's hard if you're accepting the norms of the working world and the professional working world. It's hard if you're good at your job to resist being pushed up the ladder. And sure. believe me, I showed ambivalence about it at every step of the way. And every step of the way, I had people say, you really need to get to the next level of leadership. It was hard to ignore that advice. So, Of course. Yeah. So what do you do about that? I, let's just say that, that there are folks out there listening to this conversation. And yes. they, they are either, uh, they're working in philanthropy and communications or on the nonprofit side. And they want to make a difference. And they want to be able to express their creativity. And they certainly want to be able to make a living. Yeah. What, uh, what kind of advice do you have for them? Um, I think um, I think it has to do with finding a place or a job um, where they're really intentional about these things. They're really intentional about creativity. They're really int- you know they create space for people to tell stories to actually work together. Um, uh, you know I'll just I'll just give an example which is. Um, uh, in 
in many foundations and nonprofits, the what they call the program staff and the communication staff and the fundraising staff, they're often not well integrated. You know, they're often not, they're often like at war with each other. So you, so you walk into these situations. They're you, disintegrated. Yeah, yeah. You find, you, I mean, you walk into these situations and you find like a Game of Thrones, you know, like where everybody, it's almost like the game is to conquer Westeros, you know? Okay, wait, don't spoil it. <laughs> okay. I've never seen Game of Thrones. <laughs> I'm the one Suffice to say, there's a lot of people fighting with each other at all times. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. And so... But I, I did... <laughs> however, this version of Game of Thrones is close, yeah. right? Uh, it's, yes, it's very close. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, just check. Yes, no, no, no nudity. I, I've never seen it, but I heard a rumor. <laughs> no nudity. Okay, good. But, you know, you walk, into, you walk into an organization, you get a lay of the land, and then all of a sudden you realize that these different departments, which should be working together, because there's so much overlap, are actually... There's history there's battles, there's finger pointing like, oh, communications is never giving us what we want. You know what I mean? Like, it's stuff like that. Beheadings. Right. right no and so uh, I think that in organizations like that, um, there are other places that really are much more intentional about things like culture. They're much more intentional about freeing up space for creativity. Like, I know organizations, for example, that they have taken steps where they'll declare days that are completely free of meetings, you know, so that people have the time to write and to think and to do that thinking work that actually, you know, should fuel um, most of the work that we do. And so um, I think that for people who want to earn a living but who also want to create, you have to pick up those signals about an organization or about an organization's leaders that they actually value that stuff. They actually value it. You know, you have to find a group of people who are not like you in every possible way but are like you in terms of valuing the space of creativity, the space of work, the space of cooperation and collaboration, um, who understand that there's times that you need to go off and just, you know, churn it out and churn the work out. And then there are times when you actually need to bring people together really intentionally so that they will create connections and keep each other informed about what they're doing. And then great things will happen. Did you ever have one of those moments where the skies opened and the angels sang and you went, oh my God, I, 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 I did it. it this was, this is great. I've, I have had moments like that. Um, I have had moments. The, the, the moments when I feel that the most keenly is when I'm facilitating, when I'm facilitating a workshop and, and the purpose of the workshop is about creating something. Um, I love the facilitation part of it because um, it's like a, somebody once described it to me like, you know, there's a ball that's rolling around on a surface of the table and the object of the game is to keep the ball moving in constant motion, but to never let it roll off the table, you know? And uh, I, I get really exhilarated when I'm facilitating because I feel like I'm uh, I feel like I'm planning the best dinner party in the world you know what I mean where people are having a great time and they're learning things from each other but they're also having a great time and so um, I've had really terrific messaging sessions you know workshops don't bang your hand on the table sorry <laughs> sounds terrible please continue I had really uh, terrific messaging sessions where I feel like we all walked away and all of us uh, all of us put in equal effort and terms of ideas and insights, and then we all came away with the seed of a really great concept or idea that was going to carry us forward. I mean, an example would be, for example, uh, uh, talking about clean energy, which is one of those areas which is um, rife with technical, jargony language that nobody can understand. Um, and we were creating a concept around a clean energy campaign, which was entirely about getting people excited about the idea of clean energy. That's it. <laughs> 
right. but yes, I have had those. Certainly moments. big in my house. Yes. <laughs> I'm all for clean energy. <laughs> but okay, so it, and and you know you are a great facilitator. Do you have tips and tricks? Thank you. Can you can you can you help the rest of us to better understand how to do this well? Um, number one is uh, preparation and design. You have to design the experience, um, and you have to think what's going to happen. Not just in the mo- you have to think about moments, moment to moment, very distinct experiences that you want people to have. Like you're always thinking, what do I want them to be thinking and feeling at a particular moment? So, in other words, you say to yourself, oh, at this time their blood sugar is going to be a little low. <laughs> breakfast breakfast is going to be a little far behind them. So, is this a time for them to get really excited about? something, you know, and to start sharing the, the results of the small group's work that they just did, you know, or is this a time where we take a break and do something fun or we do something, some personal sharing. So every moment has to be planned. And uh, I actually think that the most spontaneous energetic moments come out of careful preparation. You know, um, I, I have this view on extemporaneous speaking too. Um, Which is what? Well, it, Don't do it. No, it's that, it's that the, the people who look the most natural and gifted at at speaking are actually not doing it extemporaneously. Mm -hmm. Um, An example of this would be Oprah's speech that she gave at the Oscars when she got the honorary award. People were blown away by that speech. Like the day after, everybody was saying Oprah should run for president. And it was because she came off as so... Her flow was beautiful. Her cadence was beautiful. Her volume was beautiful. She was incredible in that speech. She knew she was getting that award, though. Yeah, she knew she was getting that award. That's exactly my point. Like, and and I've had people who have resisted. It's not like Tatum O'Neill. That's right. It's Paper Moon. She didn't, didn't think right. she was getting it. I've had people who've resisted preparation because they say that they're going to sound canned and they're going to sound, you know, yeah, okay. mechanical. And my point is, is that if you put in that type of preparation, which Oprah undoubtedly did because she's Oprah, right? One would imagine. Yes. Then then what you get is this incredibly magical performance. That's what it is. And that's actually my tip for facilitation is that um, always have your your version of the agenda, not the agenda you give out, but you should have your facilitator's version of the agenda. Always, always, always know what's happening in every corner of the room. Decide what you're going to pay attention to. Decide what you're not going to pay attention to. And in the and, and the other thing is I always view it as a performance. I always view it as a performance of the best aspects of me. I also know my role, which is that when I'm facilitating a meeting, I'm not the participant. Like, I'm not one of them doing... I am the one who's responsible for keeping things moving along and making sure that things are happening. So, but I love facilitating. So, yeah, I, that's, that's great. I, you're, like I said, you're, you're terrific. Oh, thank you. So in the, in the reasonable amount of time we have left, just, I want to, having been on both, whatever, both sides of the, of the of the desk on the philanthropy, or sorry, the nonprofit side and the foundation side. Yes. What kind of what do you think the role the the role of a good foundation communications person is, and what do you think the role of a really good nonprofit organization communications person is? So um, let me start with the nonprofit communications. Um, when I moved to nonprofit communications after 15 years in foundation communications, I had a I had a, I had a, a little bit of a scornful feeling in my mind about it's scornful found, really a word about foundations. 
It's better than impactful. But go on. Play, yeah, yeah, yeah. Please continue. I've had a feeling of scorn. Does that, does that, is that oh, better? Scorn, did you say scorn. Scornful. Oh, I thought you said squirmful. No, no, no. Oh, scornful. Scorn. Scornful is definitely a Thank word. Thank you. Scornful. You're, I thought it was a word. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> I, I, I apologize. I'm uh, but I had a feeling of scorn. <laughs> uh, and, or let's, I mean, I, I feel like contempt is too strong a word. But anyway, how can I say this? In nonprofit, in nonprofit, it was a communicate or die. <laughs> It was a, it was like sharks. You stop swimming, you die. So communications was a necessity. It was a necessity on all levels. It was a necessity to win on the causes we were fighting for. It was, we were on the front lines of fighting for those causes. And it was a necessity when it came to sustainability because you couldn't do fundraising without communicating about who you were. Um, it, it was absolutely essential. And the reason I had this initial feeling of scorn, which I've gotten over, by the way, I think it was silly. I'm proud of you. Um, so I did get over it, yes. Good. But the reason I had this initial feeling of scorn is because it made everything um, in the foundation world seem really slow and navel gazy by comparison. Does that make sense? Yes, like, no, no, no. I could map my navel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's the you know what is the on the moon you've got the the the, the sea of tranquility and the yeah. sea of tranquillity of, 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 of my that's name. a village that's a visual I didn't want but okay I know I, I still think that's inside the, the, the forty yard lines of, of acceptability but yes I, I understand so, yeah. the, the, the deep contours of my name yes so when I was in the foundation world for example I was constantly getting contacted for studies about communications practices so way we're doing a, we're a consultant and we were hired to do an assessment of communications practices in nonprofits or foundations. So I was always I remember getting, those. Yeah. yeah. So after about the third study, I started to feel like this is crazy, right? Why are you studying communications? Why aren't you doing it? Like, why aren't you either doing it or helping your grantee organizations do more of it? You know, if you think it's so important to study it, you know, why don't, why are you not also funding these, the, the, uh, you know, this, a similar amount in terms of the actual doing it, carrying it forward. So that's why I had that initial feeling of scorn. Um, then I thought to myself that, and I also had that feeling also because um, when our current president was elected, um, it was such a watershed moment in, in you know, the decision on whether or not you were going to make a public statement or not. And almost all nonprofits that I knew made a statement pretty quickly about how they felt, like, you know, what their statement, you know, and also when any big event happened um, in the Trump administration, there was always a statement coming out from the yeah. major nonprofits. But foundations took a long time to speak up. They took a long time to speak up because they didn't have that same imperative. And so at first I was, I was, I was scornful, but then I, I got over it because I was thinking it's just, it's just different. There are just different roles to play when it comes to communications. And so it is the role of of nonprofits, especially advocacy organizations, to be on the front lines, to drive your stake in the ground, to make sure that you know what your values and your voice stands for so that you exercise it to good effect. That's what you're doing. That's what advocacy is, is raising your voice on behalf of a cause. Foundations, I think, have more latitude to figure out what communications is for them, like how it's important for them. Um, so I guess for foundations and communications, um, it's more 
figure out how you want to do communications, but I don't think it's a choice to not do it at all. Um, and I think that there are some foundations that are still clinging to the belief that they don't have to do it at all. <laughs> That's my impression. At the phone rings. They say, what is that sound? <laughs> yes, exactly. Or there's a reporter calling. <laughs> what do we say? What do we do? <laughs> what do we say? So, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I, 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 obviously, you're right. Do you think that the foundation communications are improving? We've been at this a while. I don't know. Actually, I haven't. I, I don't. Th I think I've lost touch a little bit with, um, and I haven't seen the latest study on foundation communications. <laughs> I'm sure it's being conducted as we speak. Right? Yes, um, but I, I, I do think. I mean, for the foundations that choose to invest in communications in a big way, um, I think that I, I, I hold a really special place in my heart for them because I just think that they're so huge. I mean, they have such a huge impact. And so I'm, I'm talking about, you know, I spent 10 years at the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, and not only did they support communications in service of their strategies, so in that case, the foundation was really a communications partner for its grantees. We didn't just give them money to go off and do communications. We actually were shoulder to shoulder with them in some of the biggest efforts on healthcare reform, on, you know, uninsured Americans, on childhood obesity, on end-of-life care. These are really big issues that um, really resulted in, in measurable changes in people's awareness and understanding of these issues. Um, so I think that RWJF was a huge gift to be able to work in communications at that level. Um, but not only were we able to be partners with all these nonprofit organizations, we also supported a ton of capacity building in communications. So for a foundation that doesn't have a lot of big communications team, I think that that is one of the biggest gifts that they can give is build the capacity of their organizations, like give them money to do communications. Um, I really I really like the fact that Hewlett and Packard, where you and I worked, that um, they had this organizational effectiveness program that gave grants to organizations to strengthen their infrastructure. And at, at Packard, I knew that over a third of the requests for infrastructure building had to do with communications. You know, So if a foundation is not going to staff up on its own to do communications in a really active way, um, then at least, at the very least, live up to your grant making you know, by giving them the support that they need, not just to do a particular project, but also to communicate better because it's so essential to the organization's effectiveness. But I don't know if they're getting any better or not. I don't. Um, I do think that the current political and social times have forced foundations to speak up a lot more than they, they have before. Um, and I'm sure that they are learning interesting lessons about whether or not this is, you know, this is this has been as risky as they thought it was because they were clearly in a more risk-averse place than they are now, you know. But you see more foundation presidents speaking up, saying this is unacceptable, saying, you know, things like the border wall, unacceptable, you know, what's happening to immigration, unacceptable. And I, I can't help but applaud that, you know, after years of operating in the shadows, I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing to find out what these institutions really stand for. Well, I, for I what it, <laughs> I'm a kind of an idealist that way. <laughs> for, for what it's worth, I agree with you. Uh, and as as uh, well, thank you so much for your for your input, your in emphasis, the hitting of the table, which. Oh, sorry. <laughs> 
I know you're an East Coaster at heart. Aren't you? Well, Minajung, I, I, we didn't get a chance to talk about consulting, but that'll be for next time. Okay. Uh, but I will say that you should hire Minna. Oh. And, 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 and not me. <laughs> I disagree. <laughs> you should hire Eric. But He's funnier. <laughs> th- 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 thank you for your, for your thoughts and, and for having a, a, an old-fashioned with me here at the Long Palm. Thank you. Okay, Eric with Minna Jung. I got to say, Eric, um, I thought it worked. I love that you are the Long Palm, and I think you're onto something consultants what what is it what was the title again over cocktails but whatever it is consultants and consultants and bars having cocktails consultants and bars having cocktails it's just awesome and uh well it it you know we only had actually i i have to confess it was consultants and bars having cocktail uh, <laughs> and it's not like drunk shakespeare where people do they do five shots of whiskey and then they start doing soliloquies so we weren't I thought we were fully in control of our faculties, but it was at least a kind of a fun, convivial place to have that conversation. Oh, man, were you in control of your faculties? Um, I mean, it just, it, <laughs> it, it jumps off the page. And I have to say, uh, somehow your conversations are helping me think, are making me think, we're kind of all so much more interesting than our jobs, in a way. So, Minna starts her journey... <laughs> She's a children's book author. I've never been called interesting. And then my job has never been called interesting either. So, so. William's Ninth Life, published June 1, 1993. You can actually... Isn't that cool? You can buy it on Amazon. And let me read a review. I purchased this I purchased this as a gift for my sister when her cat died. Someone gave me a copy when I was grieving for one of my cats. And the story is very moving and sweet. The illustrations are evocative and emotional, and although I always cry buckets at the end, it has a positive and comforting resolution. As a lifelong person of cats, I love this book. I find it. I find comfort in it often. That's a review from 2014. So even though it was out in 1993, mm-hmm. people are reading it, buying it, and reviewing it, uh, at least as recently as 2014. So Minna, congratulations to you. You're a published author. And while we don't yet know how to do this, we will put a link to the yes. <laughs> Amazon site <laughs> for William's Ninth Life. And I will say, as a personal side note, we lost our dog this week. Oh. And it never occurred to me to read Minna's book. I just hadn't thought of it that way, but I will, I will buy it as well and read it. And I know that my wife and I will cry buckets because it was... Our doggie was 16 years old, and she was truly a member of the family. It well, was a very, a very, very hard week. And we've had a chance to connect in this, but condolences to all of you because that's a major loss. And so, uh, you know, thank yeah. you for being with us and and you know, keeping up with this. Um, well, that's that's all right. We're you know, we'll power through, and we will, we'll you know, that's how it goes. We'll we're good. We're fine. But thank you. So at the 6:50 mark, roughly by my count you start discussing sitting in the chair and as you described in the intro minute has sat in some pretty important chairs and i loved her whole discussion about that especially this notion of creative people heading into real jobs as she put it and managing creativity as you become a manager 
I'm just curious how that felt discussing that. And you've certainly had your own, you know, world with that and your own experience, but, but give me a little bit more on that. How did that, that bit of that conversation feel? It's very interesting. It it was, it reminds me that there are so many ways that we can do this job. And as she said, making it to the top isn't all it's cracked up to be because it involves a lot of things that are actually not communications. You have to manage, you have to deal with budgets, you have to do, you got to go to a lot of meetings and that's not for everybody, which is why one of the, I'm really enjoying being a consultant because I don't have to manage anybody and I don't have to go to too many, I don't go to many meetings. I certainly don't go to meetings about, you know, what, (laughs) what IT system should we, should we use and things like that. And I did a project for a colleague in which I was sitting in for a communications department and I was asked to kind of help keep the thing running for a while. And they asked me how much time that I think that it would take me. And I was figuring eh, 15 hours a week and they almost fell off the chair. like 15 hours a week. This, are you kidding me? This is a full-time job. And my response is, I'll do 15 hours a week of actual communications, but you're not getting any of the management stuff out of me. That's not what you're paying me for. But and that's not what the, the job is. And if you think about it, most when I was sitting in the chair, if I got to spend 15 hours in a week actually thinking about communications, writing and engaging directly on that issue, it would have been a lot. So it's just that is the nature of it. And I think that for Minna, she is she's just kind of coming to terms with where she can best use her creativity. And that's really interesting. I mean, it's it's a very candid conversation, and I'm glad she was so willing to speak about it with such honesty. Well, and it's funny because you guys, of course, are talking about jobs and about people and about the choices we make professionally. But I'm listening to this, and I'm like, you know, these guys are actually at the center of, I think, one of the most important strategic issues confronting our entire field. And so if there's just an audience of three for this podcast, Yumi and Minna, this is what I think one of the <laughs> outcomes I would like to have, which is Minna, here's your next book. And you titled it in this podcast. You called it Left Turn to Albuquerque. Left Turn to Albuquerque. <laughs> and then your subtitle should be A Response to Strategic Philanthropy. Because because mm. what I was thinking about is, you know, we have this whole notion of getting to scale and you need to scale to have impact. And yet we have people who've actually gone up that path themselves. And they say, you know, why do I feel as I get larger in scale, I get further from impact. And there's something about the creativity and the Mm -hmm. nimbleness and the way we need to be responsive. And I just went off on this little, I was like, God, this is such an an important thing to get surfaced in, in, in Minna kind of framed it as kind of her own, her own experience. And then of course you got bummed out and you started crying on the podcast, you know, as she was discussing it, but I was thinking, you know, man, this, this is kind of the personal, it is a personal journey, but I actually think as a field or even bigger as a movement, this is fundamental to this issue we have, which is like, we're trying to get to scale yet somehow at times scale can feel like the more you scale, the further you are from impact somehow. I don't, and I don't know if that lands for you at all, but I just, I thought that was incredibly interesting, that whole exchange. It, it's very interesting, although it sounds like I, I'm, I have no idea how to solve that problem. Right. <laughs> if, if what you're saying is the bigger you get, the less you get to do, that seems kind of a little depressing because it would be great to be able to influence 
large institutions in a meaningful way in which you got to use most of your time being productive rather than just some of your time being productive? I don't know the answer to any of those questions. But And by the way, may I say, Kirk, that it is so much fun to have a friend to talk about this stuff with because I have these conversations. They go out of my brain. I I cease to have ever, and I everyone will tell you that I have a memory like a, like a sieve. And here you come back and analyze these things with such care and such thoughtfulness that it feels like we... That we actually, that I actually had that conversation with Minna, which is why it's fun to do this, because you do mirror back or reflect back the interesting things and you actually learn, whereas I am kind of just a big marshmallow and I don't know it's where, a the process thing, where the of thinking dis- goes. It's a process of discovery or a process of discovery. You know, you know what it's like? If you, <laughs> if you go to like Lion Country Safari or something like that or on an actual safari, you learn that different animals travel together for a, a a real reason yeah so the uh the zebras and the giraffes and one other thing they all come together because the zebras can hear well and the giraffes no the giraffes can see and the zebras can hear and somebody else can do something else and between the three of them they all stay alive most of them oh. so that maybe that's that's great i don't know if you're the zebra or the giraffe yeah or something that's great well here so and then you know, of course, you talk about the Game of Thrones, which that's got to be touched on every time any of us discuss anything anymore. But then, you know, Minnick gets into this <laughs> range of dynamics. And that was the other thing that struck me. So, you know, I feel like we have this persistent issue in our field. What do we call communications really so that it's meaningful, given all the many different ways that that word can be used and the work can get expressed? But then Minna starts getting into all the different things you have to be able to do to do this work well. And you know, she's discussing strategy, but she's also talking about organizational development, which, by the way, Game of Thrones, right? You know, that comes up. You know, you guys are talking about... I don't, I've never seen Game of Thrones. I, I don't know anything about it other than that it's naked a lot. Yeah, stay away. It'll scar you for life. If, if you want to read, read the yeah. books. Read the books. You'll never get the ideas out of okay. your head. And then and then you'll never need to see the, 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 the show. <laughs> so you, all, this, all this wonderful analysis uh, of how... Uh, communication strategies like Game of Thrones is utterly lost on me, but I'm sure there are other people out there who get it totally. So keep going. Yeah, no, I just heard brutal and cruel in that. Honestly, I heard brutal and cruel. Ah, but okay. but but I just think it struck me that you know Minna really is talking about all the different skill sets you need to be able to master and really have mastery, not just like dabbling, but have mastery to run communications inside of a major organization. You know, and then she's talking about her facilitation work and how exciting that is for her and exhilarating and obviously she's a pro you just get it you know like i'm like oh my god let's have a meeting so minute can facilitate it but even that's in play too and so i just feel like that's another dimension of this whole you know this this string we're pulling on is that it's not just about um let's do this with purpose and impact and story etc but also how we create that outcome requires us to be these I don't know what, we, we just have to be masters of so many different courses, it feels like, to make all this come together. Well, another way of thinking about it is, I mean, I didn't, I didn't study communications in college, and mm. I learned everything I learned while I was just doing it. I've also never been actually, um, you know, able to or qualified to do any job I was ever hired to do, and you just have to kind of figure it out as you go. Mm-hmm. But it it's 
but that's the world that we live in now. I mean, the most of the jobs that our kids will work in over their lifetime haven't been invented yet. And right. that's kind of the purpose of, I think it's the purpose of these conversations. It's the purpose of what the communications network is doing and other institutions that allow you to get better at your job while you're doing it is is just about learning from each other. And without getting too serious, th- that's how I was able to do my job anyway. It was because of people like Minna and you, frankly, and a lot of other, Grant Oliphant and Matt James and many others who you you call them up, you ask them a question, and they say, okay, that was a stupid idea. Have you thought about this? <laughs> and and you eventually, you learn. And yeah. if your bosses are, are take kindly to you and allow you to make mistakes, then you can actually do a lot. But it is, part of it is just the ability or the willingness to ask questions and to ask for feedback and not to worry that people are going to realize that you actually don't really right. know what you're talking about. Exactly, exactly. Well, that's what I hope we can do with this podcast, too, because since we obviously don't know what we're talking about, we'll just ask all those questions, then everybody else can just listen in and, and learn, you know, and, and grow. Yeah, we don't, have to, we don't have the answers. We don't <laughs> have to have the answers. We're talking to smart people, and that's kind of the fun of it. Yeah, absolutely. And then you get into the conversation about, you know, extemporaneous speaking, and, and I love that piece where she was discussing, you know, Oprah's famous and powerful speech, and but, you know, you, you practice, you prepare to the point where it feels extemporaneous, even though it's fully prepared. And, um, man, she really broke that down. And I love that that mind that sort of hears Oprah. I was just like in awe listening to Oprah. And Min is thinking about flow and the cadence and even the volume with which Oprah's talking. And I'm like, yep, that's that's somebody I want prepping my people. You know, so it's just interesting, even that part of it, like even that media training, that spokesperson development piece getting people to commit to that preparation, I think can actually be really hard sometimes because we're busy. You know, we have different things we want to be able to, we want to be doing mm-hmm. with our time. As Andy Goodman says, if you fail to prepare, you prepare to fail. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So Minna, man, what a great conversation. And um, I thought, you know, at the end, I kind of leaned in because now you're at the 20 minute mark and she, you ask her, you know, to just talk about, what she's seen from both sides of being, you know, on the giving side than on the grant seeking side. And <laughs> I thought that words like scorn and contempt started coming forward related to foundations, <laughs> which actually really interesting. But, the, but then she kind of came off that. And I do think this piece about, you know, foundations willing to stand up and um, be clear about their values is it feels right. I know that you, think that's really important. I still think it's an interesting set of issues about, you know, who foundations are speaking to and for what purpose. And obviously there's a lot of work to be done foundation by foundation there. But um, I don't know. I just thought her reflection on, you know, watching how that evolves and then even the Robert Wood Johnson piece of that, how, how communication support is deployed there and what she saw at Packard with all the OE needs related to communications that came yep. forward. Um, I just thought that was a great little exchange too. Yeah, well, she's no shrinking Violet that Minajung. <laughs> no shrinking Violet, indeed. And hopefully soon to publish her brand new um, <laughs> assessment of communication strategy at the largest scale, uh, left turned Albuquerque. But um, great. Eric, thank you so much. And Minna, man, thanks for joining us. That was really fun. I'm glad we got to listen to that. That was fun. Thanks. 
All right, everybody, that's it for this episode. Please let us know if you have any thoughts about what you hear today, including people we should have on the show, and that includes yourself. We'd like to thank Maggie Brown, our intrepid production coordinator. Sarah Morgan, our tireless social and digital media maven. John L.E., our tuneful and inspiring composer of the theme music. Ben Rockwood, our brilliant partner behind the production curtain. The John S. and James L. Knight Foundation for supporting this work and for a host of other important initiatives in the world, particularly around communications and journalism. We certainly thank our guests and, of course, all of you. And thank you, Mr. Brown. Well, no, no, no. Thank you, Mr. Brown. (laughs) Until next time. Let's hear it.